In the shadow of the most powerful city in the world, the Capital Golf Gang is on the air with instructor John Ronis from the Ronis Academy at River Creek, executive director of the Middle Atlantic PGA, John Gould, and former University of Maryland golfer, Ron Thomas. And now your host in Washington, D.C., Steve Zabin. The Capital Golf Gang is far flung this week as our summer winds down, but we are all together in spirit and at least digitally. John Rodas and John Gould with me today. It is a crisp threesome, and I am live, boys, from Hilton Head, South Carolina, home of Harbortown Golf Links and the Heritage Classic, and one of the tightest, although beautiful and iconic golf courses in all of America. Boys, Good morning. How are you today? And uh, have you ever played Harbor Town? I have not, Mr. Gould. Uh, I have not. I have not either. But but I am hoping you're wearing a plaid jacket uh, as you record this with us. No plaid jacket, just plaid underwear. But then again, that's what, oh, okay. that's what I always wear. So I don't know if that's in honor of anything per se. We're going to start <laughs> topic number one: Pete Dye, American golf icon. Inside the spectacular clubhouse at Harbortown, there is a miniature museum about Pete Dye because this course that he collaborated with the great Jack Nicklaus on back in 1969 really put him on the map as a golf course designer. And let me tell you, fellas, it's a fascinating little museum because it has things in there like one of his original little scooters, or not scooters, it was like a little mini shaper that he would ride around on himself. Nice. Imagine the smallest, tiniest little, almost a toy bulldozer that he was so fond of because Pete Dye was a hands-on architect. According to, you know, those who worked with him, he rarely worked with maps or topo plans. He would just do the basic routing, and then he would say, I want a tee here and a green there. And then once out there in the field, he would shape the holes and place the bunkers and work in the drainage and everything else. It's fascinating. So he's a true true artist then, right? Painting with a – instead of painting with a brush, he's painting with that little uh, shaper. Th- that shaper and just sort of endlessly walking around. I mean, it's uh, it's fascinating. Now, I'm not saying one way is better than the other. I think there's a lot to be said for detailed plans, but he just wasn't that way. So the museum has that. It has a bunch of other artifacts in it. It has the uh, Pete Dye design tree of his fellow golf course designers that he has spawned over the years and who have learned from him. And it also has his greatest hits collection, which includes all the golf courses that are the most famous Pete Dye designs, including more modern ones like Whistling Straits, of course, TPC Sawgrass, Casa de Campo, Teeth of the Dog down in the Dominican. Um, what else? Crooked Stick in India, Indiana. I mean, it's a it's a hell of a list of courses. Your thoughts on Pete Dye, sure. John Ronis? I think he's believe it or not. I think he's underrated. Okay, believe it or not, I think he was known for years as a bit of a Mickey Mouse kind of guy. Um, you know, weird this, weird that. TBC Sawgrass is my favorite course on the planet. Um, I, I really enjoy playing a Pete Dye golf course. And I know we've gotten into this before. You know, you're going to get a, something, a par three on 17 and blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> I really believe that I believe he's actually underrated for the sophistication. And don't forget, I mean, you, you talk about what they're, what they're doing as far as shaping it and standing on a tee. There were no drones. There were no satellite images. There was none of that, you know, back in the, at least for golf course architecture, back in the, the late 60s. So you kind of did have to to either take a trip over in the helicopter or you would, you know, stand there and just, just look at the ground and figure out what it was going to do. Mr. Gould? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's certainly, uh, I think he's he's famous for a lot of uh, uh, gadget kind of things. You know, the the uh, uh, tie, what do they call it? Uh, Railroad ties. ties. Right. Yep. And, and some things that are, are probably not, you know, purest things. But, uh, you know, he was prolific. And, and I think his wife, Alice, you know, was an architect herself. 
uh, I know she was president of the uh, Art Golf Architect Society, um, you know, and it did some things with him, especially in the later years. I don't think it was as she was as prolific early on when he was doing some of his, you know, high, more highly credited um, facilities. But uh, I mean, it's, it's just, a, you know, as you said, he, he's a golf icon. And, and, and all the years after he retired where he was just a, uh, you know, a, a visible uh person in golf that was, you know, credited with so many things that it had, uh, you know, were creative in, in our world. So, you know, great story and, and, uh, you know, love to see him get the credit he deserves. He is a world golf hall of famer. So there's that. But I think your point about him being a bit underrated, John, is a good point in that, you know, it's not so much underrated, but he is, I think, misunderstood by some who don't fully appreciate what he has done. And I think the one thing that kind of hurts Pete Dye a bit is that, yes, he had a real fond use of railroad ties, not as much as his son PB Dye, who really uses them way too much. But I think part of the reason that he uses railroad ties is that they're visually intimidating. They talked about how Pete Dye has a number of holes that he designs that are visually intimidating. They're not as hard as you think, but they scare you. And I have found that time and time again at every one of his courses. And there was probably something uh, structurally that allowed him to, maybe they were cheaper than putting up stone around um, areas that needed retaining walls. You know, there was probably just the sand of Florida or South Carolina or whatever. I think there was probably a lot of necessity for retaining, if you dug a hole, retaining the sand from caving in. Right. So maybe he found the at, at the beginning, maybe he found that was the cheapest way that he could get in there, and then he just used it um, as an architectural way to uh, separate himself a bit. But I bet you, I bet you it wasn't him sitting there going, "Yeah, I'm going to use a lot of railroad ties." I bet you at one point it was, "This is cheaper than putting up, uh, you know, some sort of uh, rebar and all the other stuff." And so it just went with it. And then someone said, "Wow, that's really cool," and he, he probably said, "Well, yeah. I'll put more of that in there." I think also well, and, and you know, it, it becomes kind of a signature too. I mean, the you know the legacy of Pete Dye, you know, certainly it's in the courses, but you recognize a Pete Dye almost instantly when you arrive at a golf course. You can't say that about many architects. I mean, that, that is a kind of a signature. That is true. Um, and by the way, you mentioned his wife Alice. She was an accomplished golfer herself, a very good player. Yeah. When Pete met her in mm-hmm. college and became an architect, and her contribution to the game of golf is one of the great footnotes in history that the iconic 17th hole, the Island Green at Sawgrass, was her idea. What happened was, as they're building that golf course out of nothing but swampland, they had to build a sort of a drainage pond, which is where 17 was, as they're moving around all kinds of tons of dirt. And Pete wasn't quite sure, like, okay, well, what kind of hole am I going to make here? And that's when Alice's wife said, why don't you just make it an island? And the genius of that hole is that it's a short little dink. And the green is quite generous in size. But where it sits as the 17th hole of your round or the 71st hole of the Players' Championship, it gets in your head probably starting right around the turn as you hit the number 10. Right. Oh, yeah. And and that, you know, again, that shot is it's my favorite shot in golf. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why I love that golf course so much. But, you know, again, if the wind blows now, you're really in trouble because it's it's different from the rest of the holes on the golf course where it becomes a fairly open space there. There's a chute that comes down 18. There's a little bit of trees behind you, but it becomes an open area. You have no idea what the wind's doing. So, boy, it's a cool place. It is yeah. such, and it and it was built in the theme of stadium golf. So you have that amphitheater on the side um, that overlooks the hole. It's it's stunning. One of the and, it, and there's nothing cooler than than watching tour pros freak out about a 120 yard, 130 yard shot and, yes. and miss the green as often as they do. You know, it, it's not typical. And I think you're. I think Ronus was right. The the wind makes that interesting. 
but even without the wind, uh, you know, because the because there's the green is so diabolical with little corners that, you know, if you just say, hey, I'm going to try for the middle of the green, you're going to have a tough putt with where they end up putting the hole. So they're trying for that back right corner or the front uh, left, and that's when they, you know, they come up an inch short or go uh, a foot long, and they're in the drink. Yeah. It's brilliant. One of the great moments in Pete Dye's career came at Sawgrass in 1992, I believe, and early on, the Sawgrass layout, as you know, Mr. Ronis, was even harder than it is oh, today. Yeah. It was yeah. so penal and so unfair that the tour players bitched up a storm, which is what they're good at, but they weren't wrong they per se. They weren't wrong. And so I think there was a softening of the course that came over the coming years. But at the time, it was so hard that Jerry Pate, who won the tournament that year, and they've got this video clip in the little museum of Pete Dye, talked about walking up the 18th ferry. He said, I didn't want to beat the field this week. I wanted to beat Pete Dye. And so once he put it out for the win, and you kids sitting on Uncle Stevie's lap here, you're not going to believe this. Jerry Pate, in 1992, grabbed Dean Beeman and grabbed the commissioner of the PGA Tour or excuse me, Beeman, the commissioner, and Pete Dye, the designer, and threw them into the lake in yeah, sort of wow. in, in a in a in a in a mirthful celebration and like, haha, you old coots, I got you. They're in their suits and their ties, yeah. and it's a good ten foot drop. There's a five or six foot drop into the water, and there's alligators in the lake. Yeah. And yeah. after he throws both men into the lake. He jumps in himself with panache and flair, and the three of them are laughing and swimming around. It's literally the most happy Gilmore moment, probably in tour history. Yeah, was that before or after Jerry switched to the orange golf ball? He was playing the orange was ball. Yeah, pro nice. staff. Pro staff paid him big money to play that high visibility orange. But what's great is that in the clip, and I was watching it in the little Pete Dye Museum. As they hand Jerry Pate the trophy, there's Dean Beeman soaking wet, soaking yeah. wet like a dog. Perfect. <laughs> I can see that clear today. That's actually one. If you if you put a highlight film of golf, that's that's making it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that and Betsy King on the LPGA side did something like that. I think. Anyway, uh, it was good stuff. The museum was was very nice. The clubhouse at Tarbert Town is absolutely spectacular, and it's a course you can play. If you want to pay the pay the freight, would you like to know what the rack rate is this week down here at Harbor Town? Twenty five. How much? Four twenty five. Oh, four twenty five. Yeah, it's got to start with a four or five, I would think. Well, now you're making me feel cheap and bad. <laughs> it's only three fifty. Three twenty plus tax. And I have, I have I have opt, I, I have opted out of paying that freight to play it because, and this is my rationalization, the greens had been aerified about two weeks ago and they're almost perfect, but I putted there this morning and there was a little dusting of sand and I'm like, ah, <laughs> I, I can't play a course that's like this. So I opted out of it, but uh, I highly recommend if you got the scratch to go play it, to enjoy the clubhouse. The locker room is incredible. Uh, there's a veranda off the locker room that you can sit outside and watch players come up nine. And it really is a spectacular course. And make sure to check out the Pete Dye Museum while you're in there. So I had to give you guys a little bit of an update on my pursuit of free golf down here and the reach and the power of the Capital Golf Gang. The update is... Or lack thereof. This show has no juice in Hilton Head, North Carolina. <laughs> It may have South juice Carolina. somewhere. Yeah, South Carolina. It may have juice somewhere, not down here. I even, like, I, I left messages. I, I thought I was getting somewhere with the uh, plantation course. There's two courses. There's the uh, Heron Point, which is a dye design, and then Atlantic Dunes, which is a Davis Love redesign of a course. And they're quite lovely. And I got a hold of some, you know, young Hungry, slappy, for lack of a better term. I mean, a young, aspiring PGA of America professional, John Gould. 
Oh, much better. Thank you. In the, in the clubhouse, and I gave him a very professional spiel, Capital Golf Gang, would love to interview your head pro, talk about the island, talk about the course, wondering if just a media round might be a possibility as a courtesy in conjunction with this. And the young man says, oh, wow, that sounds great. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and I'll give your information. My pro's out right now. Probably out back drinking. Just kidding. He's working hard to grow the game, John Gould. Uh, he said, "My pro's That's out great. right now. My head pro's out right now. I'll get you his information. I'll get him your information, and he'll call you back. In the meantime, I'm going to patch you through to our reservation center, and they're going to get you a tea time." I'm like fist pumping, going, "Yes, I'm in." Goes to voicemail. Leave a very friendly, Ooh. professional voicemail. That was Monday. Crickets. <laughs> maybe well, it'll come in. Is a, maybe it'll come in at the end of the week. I don't know. But I my, my pride is, such is the, that I just can't pursue it any further because it'll make me feel more desperate and, and sad. So there you go. Yeah. I was gonna say the problem is uh with this boom, all these golf courses are free with uh, are full of paying customers. So the the non-paying customer is well down the list. Well, Ronus probably knows at River Creek. They they are, but okay. There's no room, Ronus, for wheeling and dealing, which I found remarkable. For example, I go into going to Harbor Town this morning, and I or yesterday morning I talked to the pros, chatted up. I say, you know, I'm just a single on vacation. Would you have a spot open? You know, I could join a foursome like tomorrow morning. He's like, yeah. As a matter of fact, there's a Eight fifteen. I go. Okay, great. What will be the rate? Uh, Three twenty and you know plus tax. I go. Is there any way that maybe there's a better rate I could get for that? Maybe like a, a twilight rate, just because I'm helping fill a crack in your t sheet. And he looked at me like I was an alien with three heads. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm very old school, so I try my best to help those visiting the area to get. A glimpse of what I feel is a beautiful piece of property along the Potomac River, mm-hmm. uh, but you know if you're calling me on a and asking to play on a Saturday morning, you don't have a prayer. I just thought that there was value in me filling a spot. I mean, how many other singles are going to walk up and go? I'll play. I don't probably know. ten. <laughs> <laughs> or or they probably thought this guy's going to go back home go back to his rented condo, and he's going to start getting FOMO, and he's going to be right back here for full price. Yep. Correct. By the yeah. way, by the way, right. wouldn't have taken much. I mean, we're talking Uh-oh. maybe, you know, $100 off, take it down to $220. I mean, it would have been a good deal for Hilton Head. I, I, I hope Harbortown stays in business after this, you know. Yeah, they might not make it without <laughs> your money. <laughs> anyway, um, I have thought down here because it it is the dead of summer. It's very hot, steamy, but I like it. I think that fall golf down here, boys, must be spectacular. Maybe a quarter zip over you, peel it off by the end of the round, then watch some college football. I'd love to do that someday for sure. All right, when we come back. Road trip. Road trip. When we come back, we'll play a quick nine, including the crazy bonkers finish at the St. Jude And why did Will Zalatoris not get relief on what turned out to be a very gutsy up and down to win that tournament for his first PGA Tour win of the year? Stay with us. The Capital Golf Gang continues, presented by Golf Dome. You are listening to the Capital Golf Gang. Four guys who still don't know the difference between red stakes, yellow stakes, and white stakes. Except they're all bad. Listening to the Capital Golf Gang, a foursome of men with tight pants, tighter wallets, and vanity handicaps. And we're back. It's just me, Zabe, along with John Rodas and John Gould. We are down to two of these Capital Golf Gangs left. This is the second to last one, so we're going to make the most of it. Let's start with a quick nine. Hole number one. How great was that finish last week? At the St. Jude. 
Johnny, was, I unfortunately was probably chasing slow play around, so I did not see it, but I did come home to see that Will Zalathoris won, and I was just – I'm so happy for that guy, and I think it's just great and necessity for the PGA Tour right now. But um, I did get the Cam Smith situation, and I, I have rifled through that a few hundred thousand times. Okay. So We'll leave that aside for a second. Here's how good the finish was, School. I got a text from somebody because I'm on vacation Sunday and I'm not paying attention to any TV. I'm on the beach. And my guy, Chris Broussard, who runs my podcast operation, says, are you watching this crazy finish at the St. Jude? I'm like, no, I'm on vacation. What's going on? He sends me all the details. I then went and watched it on, on the PGA Tour website. And I'm like, wow, what a finish. It was pretty much, you know, guys, both him and Sepp Straka kind of trying to hand the tournament to each other, getting some of the most incredible breaks. Zalatoris had a ball that bounced one, two, three times on top of a stone wall fronting a water hazard. And and did not go in. So it was crazy. And then, you know, Zalatoris had to make a big putt just to get into the playoff. He made a big putt to win it. There was a rules issue. I mean... And the fans were loud and engaged. And all I'm thinking about is, you know, this used to be a rump stop on the PGA Tour. Remember? This was not a prime yeah. spot. And they've moved it now into the FedEx Cup playoffs. Because I think they're trying to do this. Take some of these lesser tournaments and give them spots in the you know playoffs. And it really it paid off big time. It was a hell of a finish. Yeah. Yeah, didn't this event used to be the week after the Masters? I, I can't remember. I think it was. I think it was deeper um, in the summer. I think it was the week after the British Open. Okay, but I but may yeah, be, I mean, I may it, be it, wrong. What was really that. good is is the crazy up and downs. You know, as you said, you know, trying to give it away and then make an unbe- unbelievable recovery. Uh, you know, I think Zalatoris might maybe made more putts that I've seen him make in in that three or four hole stretch, including eighteen in the playoffs. You know, than he's made in some of these other events where he plays great all week and just doesn't make enough putts. Yeah, uh, it, yeah, it, it was uh, good I stuff. Think, and and I would say I, that I, TPC Southwind is probably in the bottom five of layouts on the tour, both in terms of its interest, intrigue, design value, and its overall environment. It's just a neighborhood golf course, basically. But if you got compelling golf, and it doesn't... Do you think the crowd is starting to get, like, a little bit more, not unruly, but, like, excited and boisterous? Because Energetic. of Live Tour? Uh, maybe. Like a little more happy Gilmore-ish? PGA Tour is it. Like, I'm going to be part of the cool crowd of the PGA Tour because these Live people forget about them. They stink. They're a bunch of losers. I'm on the PGA crowd tour, and we're going to get loud, and we're going to have fun, and we're going to support I don't, this. I don't know if they're thinking about it that much, but I, I think there might be some energy there. A little bit of extra energy, just because they know oh, they're it, seeing it is great the playoffs golf. too. Yeah, you, you got to think it is the playoffs, so they get a little bit more. There's no slappies out there. It's only the top, you know, one hundred. True. Or, you know, True. Depending on which event. All right. So why did Zalatoris not get relief as his ball wedged between the edge of the stone wall and the ground or the grass that's on the safe side of it? It was sort of in a nook where. It was almost like you could say, well, why wouldn't they manicure that so that it would at least sit up and be playable? Yeah, well, the the stone wall itself is uh, in the penalty area, and the ball is in the penalty area. So when your ball is in the penalty area, you don't get relief from immovable obstructions, which is what the stone wall was. Uh, So anytime you're in a penalty area, if it's a movable obstruction like a stake, like what we used to call a hazard stake, the red stake, you can move the stake. You can move something that's movable out of your way. In this case, uh, it, it was, you know, sometimes the, the, the line was probably on the, just on the grass side of the, of the stone wall. Right. And therefore, the stone wall was in the, in the penalty area. But sometimes they don't put the, they put the red line on the edge of the water, but they call the stone wall an a, um, a integral part of the golf course. And, then, and once again, you don't get relief. So, and that, that interestingly, because you brought up uh, uh, Pete Dye, you know, the, the, that's kind of from his ilk, you know, with the with the uh, railroad ties. Yeah. But those were all uh, you know, the bulkheads. Yeah, they were all, you know, no relief because they're immovable obstructions inside the penalty area. It seems- and John, what if what if the ball was wedged, it uh, embedded between the rock and the grass? 
embedded. Well, it depends on where it is. The embedded ball uh, relief is only hazard. What we used to call through the green, now called the general area. So if it's in the yep. penalty area, you know, you, can you imagine if any penalty area, which is generally water and muddy around the edges, you could get, you know, embedded <laughs> ball relief? No. You know, we would it, never want to do that because it would happen all the time. Yeah. It's, it's embedded in the water six feet under the water. Well, I get relief. You know, yeah. that would be it seems, what would try to happen. It seems kind of unfair that there'd be a place the ball could come to rest where it's physically impossible to play it. But at the same time, well, it happens all the time. I know. I know. I, I, I know, but not with a man-made object. Like you would think but it's, in, it's in the penalty area. So it doesn't matter what it is. No, I know. But that the, the emailer who said, but isn't that a man-made object? I thought you were supposed to get relief from man-made objects, but not always, not if they're integral parts, parts of the course, or if they're in the penalty area, the other thing right. is, without right. that little ditch, the ball almost surely would have rolled into the hazard. So right. either in, in way, in the end, he ended up taking. He, he decided smartly. Uh, I, I saw a tweet about uh, millions of people yelling at their TV right now for the for will to not try to play that. Uh, he ended up taking penalty relief, so it's almost as, as if the ball went in the water. Doesn't yeah. matter. Same, yeah, same and, he, and he thought about playing it, and that would have been a disaster. That would have been just throw the yes. tournament away because he could not have realistically played that ball. Now, there's one other ruling before we move to hole number two, and that was Cam Smith, who got hit with a two-shot penalty for not taking full relief from a hazard. But it was right. the day after it happened, so he woke up in the morning thinking he's two shots behind only, and then, bam, no, you're four shots behind. Your thoughts, Mr. Gould? Well, I don't think this had anything to do with the possible live move, but, you know, you got you got to be suspicious. Uh, but it was a correct ruling. So, you know, you don't uh, – when they use the word complete relief, that's that's a term we use on a cart path. And complete relief meaning you got to take the ball off and your stance. So there's been many occasions on the PGA Tour where they caught a guy's heel on the back of the cart path and said, hey, you didn't take complete relief, so you played from a wrong place and penalized him. Well, in this case – you know, his feet can be in the penalty area, but the ball was still in the penalty area. It was on the line, and the line is part of the penalty area. They asked him, they, they assumed, eh, well, you know, for the video, it's probably really close, and it's just overhanging. It was a, it was a really thin angle to get not closer to the hole. So we, we took his word for it, that, or, or not took his word for it, but just assumed that he was actually outside the penalty area. It just looks really close. But they decided to ask him anyway. And when they asked him, he said, oh, no, mate, it was on the line. And because of that, they had to penalize him because he did not take hmm. relief from the penalty area. He was still in it. Uh, what about the whole notion so, of once you go to bed and the tournament for the day is put to bed, shouldn't that put to bed all the ruling adjustments? Well, th- this has changed. Uh, in In the past, he would have been disqualified because he had a penalty that uh, occurred that he did not sign for, and he would have signed for a score lower than – what he actually shot, and they would have disqualified him. The way the rules have changed to say, if he didn't know about it, but we find out about it, we can penalize him the the appropriate penalty, the two strokes, without getting him also for signing a wrong card and therefore disqualifying. For, hmm. disqualifying. Okay. That's always been the case that you can catch him. Now, certainly high-def video was not there. Probably if this was shot in the 90s, they would have said, yeah, it looks close enough. But, yeah. you know, with the high-def, they could see that it was – it looked like it was on the line. Let's at least ask him. Ronis, your thoughts? They good, well, they had a good interview, Gary Young, who I played against in college. He played for Bryant College and a really good player. And he's like kind of the, the rules official now on tour. And um, he, he said, look, he was he was honest. He said, yeah, it was on the line. And he was very uh, courteous and considerate. And I can't stand Cam Smith, so it's it's hard for me to even say that. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm happy. See you later, Cam. You're really quite a – dumb a for I mean you've been playing your whole life you don't you don't play the ball from the line it's just the stupidest thing I, I know no rules Dave, and I know that you don't drop the ball and play it on the line or back in the hazard I mean it's just pure stupidity but um he even said he said he was very cordial and everything else and he you know he took the penalty like a man no big deal okay moving on hole number two John Ronas what do we got uh, let's see. Uh, oh, the most essential, mainly golf. So it's not like you're going to wear this out. The most essential piece of golf clothing that you need quarter to have zip. in your quarter zip. I don't even need to hear the rest quarter zip. 
Any particular quarter zip? No, all of them. I have 50 of them, yeah. and I'm looking to buy more. Yeah. <laughs> different yeah. colors, different, different logos, colors, right? Colors, weights, uh, designs, you know, it's there's so many. That's the thing. Sometimes yeah. I want just the lightest of covering on my dainty forearms. Other times, nah, needs to be warmer. That's what I say. Yeah. R- uh, Ghoul, what do you say? Ronis, I'm going with, I, I was going to say rain jacket, but because that can also be used outside of uh, golf, I'm a, in particular your question, I'm going with the rain pants. Because a lot of times you'll wear rain pants, not necessarily when it's raining, but if it's kind of wet and mucky and you don't want to get your pants dirty or you're going to you're gonna hit a ball from, from uh, a wet area or muddy area. Rain or pants for, are very useful, I find. Yeah, or form. Here's mine. And this was the onus of this question: the ra- the wind sweater, that footjoy mm. wind sweater, might be the greatest garment ever what? built. Now, are you it's talking a, cord- a windbreaker? No, I'm talking the sweater with the lining underneath oh, it yeah. that you can wear in the middle of the Arctic with a t-shirt underneath it. And you're perfectly warm. What What is the exterior? Is it a smooth, high-tech fabric? It's a sweater. Yeah, oh. it looks like a sweater. So it's sweater. so it's fuzzy and soft. Yeah, and it's yeah, but it's got a liner. That's the key. It's like an impermeable material. It's the greatest thing. I get one every year. It's the greatest thing ever. I rarely, I rarely wear sweaters because they're so itchy, and reminds me of being 12 <laughs> years old having to go to a family function that I didn't want to go to. But if it's really cold, I will wear a sweater because you need that soft exterior to kind of absorb the wind. Like the liner is going to make it not itchy, Zabe. You got to try one of these. I know. But sometimes it's so cold, you don't mind the itch. You want it just to be as warm as possible. Like I'll never forget. It was so cold playing Carnoustie. Last time I went to Scotland, I bought the ugliest sweater, this tartan blue sweater, because I'm like, this will be warm enough. Give it to me. The the lining on this is like silk sheets. Wow. Okay. I'm going to need to see this one. I I need to see this one. Hole number three, John Gould. What do we got? All right, boys. This is a question for you two. How geeky do you get with your wedges? Do you get into bounce and all that stuff, or you just buy off the rack based on I want a fifty-six or I want a sixty? Yeah, I don't. Isn't that great? I don't understand bounce. I don't understand what bounce I need. And they're like, well, what courses do you play typically? Is it firm and tight, or is it a little bit fluffier? How do you like to hit your wedges? I'm like, oh, for God's sakes, I yip half of them anyway. Does it really matter? So no, the answer (laughs) is no. I don't get geeky with them. I play whatever, buddy. And Pat Moriarty, the Titleist rep, tells me to play. Pat's my neighbor here, and you are so off the tracks on this one. The wedge, the bounce, and the grind are maybe two of the most important decisions you're going to make in your bag. So you talk about chipping poorly, there's ways that you can grind and bounce that club where it's very difficult to make some of the mistakes you're you're making. It is critical. I will not play a wedge that... For me, it's unacceptable. Zay. Hey, we can All fix right. you, Zabe. We can fix you. All right, I'll I'll come but, in. But I'll, I'm a, uh, you can try to explain it to me again. But like, if why isn't there one optimal bounce and grind? Because there's different hand positions that different people get into. There's different hinge positions. There's different uh, lag positions. I, angle of attack. And you're the one who wants to know the stint meter reading. Because <laughs> I can understand that. It's exactly. simple. It's a yeah. single digit. Yeah. It's a two-digit number. On bag, you need to know the stint meter, and you don't care right. about bounce. On my, my chipping is so inconsistent. Uh, there's not a single grind that would even make sense because I'm all over the place. Okay, Ghoul, your thoughts real quick? <laughs> I, I'm actually more in your camp, Zabe. I am not good enough to uh, – to figure that out, uh, but I would like Ronus to uh, give me uh, a, a quick uh, uh, off-air, uh, a quick lesson and all that stuff. I, all right, that's a, I like that hole. That's a that's a good hole, Goal. Well done. Hole number four. Do you guys have a better idea for the FedEx Cup playoffs? Number of players this week interviewed. They weren't blasting the current format, but they were kind of like, yeah, I don't know if it makes sense. They've changed it over the years. Next year, it's going to be cut down to 70. So the first... Chop of the playoffs 
will be from 70 down to less. Any better ideas on how to do this? I actually think they're doing a good job with it. I really do. I think that they've tweaked it enough times where they're, they're getting really close to exactly what they're looking for. And, and I think the cream has risen to the top quite nicely in the past year. So I think they're doing a good job. I don't like, and you can't have too few golfers because it's just not good TV product, right? Yeah. You, you can't cut too many too early. I, I would say what, one thing that would be interest of me, it would interest me is a little bit of the NASCAR model where you make the playoffs and then everything resets. So you can get hot for three weeks and win the FedEx Cup as opposed to this, you know, we have the ranking and then the, the last one you start 10 under par and somebody else is at 8 under right. par and all that stuff. Yeah, I just, uh, I, I think that, um, I don't know. It, I wish they would play all four events. I don't like the that you can take one off and still win the whole thing. And I know that they're like, well, it, well, it's only three now. This year oh, they switched it. To okay, three. it's only three now. Okay, but they can still. This take, is a reaction to the live tour. I, okay, but I still think I believe Cam Smith is going to play in the tour championship and try to win the whole thing, even though yeah. he missed. He's pulled out of this week because of a hip injury. Okay, yeah, hold he, number. He, he want to talk to Tiger. Hole number five, John Ronis, what do we got? I, I want to know your both of your opinions on T-markers. We're in a process of kind of deciding, do we want a theme-oriented, elaborate T-marker, or do you like the understated piece of wood or whatever some of these courses do? Give me your opinions, please, gentlemen. Oh, you have really hooked into my wheelhouse here, Mr. Ronis. Yeah, he makes man. his own. As a man who has made the most delightful and elaborate home ec or home, not home ec, what am I thinking of? Wood shop projects. Homemade. Homemade. uh, The team markers I made for the Potomac Cup belong in a museum. And I say that with all humility possible. It's not very humid. Humil. Humil. It's not very uh, humble. I'm I'm drunk here. I'm on vacation. Um, the, the, The challenge is this. The nicer they are, the more prone to getting stolen they are. Yep. And harder to replace. Yeah. They're expensive. They're expensive. Um, Also, people get mad and they smash them so they can't be too ornate. Um, My only thing is whatever tea marker you go with, I better be able to tell the damn color of the tea. Don't make yeah. the silver look like gray or the green look like black or the yellow. I mean, make them none of this gold stuff either. You can't tell gold. It fades. Like, there's nothing worse than driving up and, of course, going squinting. Is that wait, which T's are these? I can't see it. Yeah, and sometimes metal has a glare to it where you can't see the color. Right. And some fancy courses go the copper T's, the pewter T's. Like, <laughs> come on already. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, Ronis. I, I mean, I, I guess it depends on how good the logo is, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, if it's something that has to be, you know, this part of the club, you know, that that has to be kind of now part of the the, the tea. Otherwise, I like, I just like a simple, you know, piece of wood with a color on the ends, or you know, the the simple, you know, is kind of drives it home that hey, we're we're here to play golf. We're not here to do foo foo stuff. Yeah, fair enough. You know, it's uh, remarkable is that most of the places in Scotland, including the championship venues, their team markers are flat discs. That's yep, the stones in the ground into the ground. I don't even think they pick them up to mow over them because they don't have to. Yeah. Right. Okay. I think that's my part of the reason. Yep. Hole number six, John Gould. What do we got? Okay. Uh, other than the very necessary phone charger, what cart accessory is your favorite? What do you want in your cart, your golf cart? Oh, Zabe, you go. Okay. This is not one that you bring yourself, but it's one that many courses have, and I've grown to become a huge fan of it. And that is the little club brush attachment. So you can take a shot with your iron and, you know, get it wet and scritch it off and then just yeah, towel dry. Yeah, washer. Oh, my God, do I love that. So that now when I play somewhere that doesn't have it, I mutter to myself, you cheap bastards, would you get with the program? (laughs) You know what's crazy? We have those on our carts at River Creek. Nice. I had never used 
on in my life until my one of my assistants, Matt Ryan, he goes, yeah, that thing's filled with uh, that. You got to empty the water all the time on that thing. Um, he goes, we got to clean those out because I use them all the time. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try to use them. I am now addicted to them. They must be a hassle to maintain, though. They are. They, they, they are they're rotten and you have to pull the plug, wash it out when you're washing the carts every time or else it's a cesspool. And, um, and we do that, but I now every iron shot, I walk to that side of the cart and I do yeah. the swish swish and mm-hmm. I'm really happy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Clean sweep. That's, that was my favorite too. I thought maybe one of you guys was going to go with a cooler or, or something like that, but yes, well, the, clean gotta, sweep. I like the club gotta, cleaner. You got to have the cooler on the other side. Of course. Okay. Hold. I don't know how drinking drinks that we need coolers on the cart. Oh, boy. You need to live a little yeah. bit. Yeah, you got to take a six-pack of beer with you, Ronis. Come on, man. There's nothing, there's nothing happier than going deep into a round with your boys and then going to that little cooler and going, oh, there's one left. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hole number seven. Did you see the profane tweets from Scott Fawcett? who was Will Zalatoris's junior coach after he finally won his first tour event. They are something else, boys. He must have been drinking himself, but Scott Fawcett did not like the commentary from Dan Hicks and Brad Faxon. I guess at the U.S. Open they were talking about Zalatoris's sometimes unique putting stroke. He Mm -hmm. tweeted... Oh, and again, F-U, Dan, all caps. This wouldn't be a gift. Will has the best speed control on tour, so he bleepin' earned it, you bleep. Okay, nice putt, Sep. And then he follows up with, hey, Brad Faxon and Dan, go bleep each other. Yes, I understand that this is classless and crude, but let me repeat myself. Bleep you. Onlookers, feel free to unfollow, block, and never buy decade, which I guess is something he... A, a product or who knows what I D G A F the tweets of course right. were quickly taken down and I believe fellow tour pro Justin Thomas chimed in and go, Hey, I'm glad for your win, but this is not helping you or your former student thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to, you know, being a teacher trying to make your way, you try to promote, as much as you can and your, when your students get some big wins and things like that. But I really came to a, a realization that it's in, it's a form of prostitution. And um, so I stopped <laughs> doing that because am I going to post every time they have a bad round two, you know, because you right. should, if you're that, when they have a good round, you're that bad when they have a bad round. Right. right? So I just stopped doing it. And, um, you know, I've had kids that have gone on since I don't have as much time anymore and they're taking, they, they see other instructors still come back to me and see things, but it's just one of those things that you have to sit back and say, I want what's best with the kid. And it's not all about you. It's not you telling these people their views were correct at the time. Well, and it's not about you and it's not personal. You don't make it personal. You don't go profane like this either. If you're Scott Fawcett, you, you keep it classy and say, Great win by Will Zalatoris. He earned every bit of it. I know from working with him a long time ago that he had the talent, the drive, and everything else to succeed. I'm glad to see it's now coming together, despite some high-profile people who might have thought otherwise. And boom, leave it at that. Don't name names. Todd Fawcett had nothing to do with it. You're just lucky that you didn't get in the way. That's how I feel about my students. I really don't have anything to do with it. I'm just lucky I didn't get in the way of their extreme talent, drive, and discipline. And then if I helped them a little bit, that's great. But I had nothing to do with them being an ultimate or ultra success. It's not about the the student. And I I can't imagine he's getting any many more new clients after that. No, because you got to. Yeah, you know, keep you it classy. You don't want your former teacher dunking on people on social media in a profane way. Yeah, it's it's it was a yeah. bad look. Very unfortunate. All right, final two holes here. Ronus hole number eight. Quick nine. What do we got? Well, when I go to a place, there's two things I look like look for at an elite golf course. The first one is if the superintendent's driving around with a dog, it's got to yep. be a great place. Great question. 
And the second one is, and I need your opinions on this, I cannot have an elite golf course with other than wooden tees. Your thoughts? Yeah. Ooh. I'll tell you, what we have uh, plastic tees for our section events, and our pros love them. They are grabbing them all the time. We need these at our course. They take ours. Um, but every classic course I've ever been to has the pure wooden tee. Yeah. So they got to at least have both. I only right. I only use rare Brazilian teak wood teas <laughs> that have been hand varnished in five coats or more uh, by artisans on Nantucket Island, and they're very, very expensive, but they're worth it to me. Yeah, yeah. Hole number nine, Ghoul, close us out. One of the guys in the band said he has a guitar pick that's forty dollars because it was made of some special wood. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think we got penalized for slow play. Our quick nine was not that quick. But uh, this question is about scorecards. So there's, in my opinion, there's two basic styles of scorecards. One is very simple. Here's the hole and here's the hole number and here's yardage. And there's small boxes. So you can't even fit a name. It's just uh, initial for Steve for S and, and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Or you've got the hyper detail. You've got five yardages. You've got the handicap index for each one of those yardages. The name of every hole, this is the blossom hole, and this is the (laughs) apple orchard hole, and all that stuff. So what is your preference? I've said this before. I want standardized scorecards. I want boxes. I want numbers. I want just the facts. I want it to be cardboard you can write on and not coat it in some sort of, hey, it might rain or get wet, so we want to coat it. Yeah, the wax. The waxy cards. Standardized and fits yep. in your back pocket one fold. That's it. Bing, bang, boom. I am going to work for Steve Zayden's company on this one. I am yep, all nice. in your. Yes. And any course that has ads for uh, Ed's Tire Shop on the scorecard. Totally unex- now, there now, we go. now you know, my friend, you're slumming it. <laughs> Coming up, final segment here on the Capital Golf Gang presented by Golfdom. The latest on the live and one of the more hilarious lawsuits we've seen in sports history. That's next. You are listening to The Capital Golf Gang, Washington, D.C.'s radio golf authority for over 15 years. are listening to the capital golf gang four guys who will knock your lights out if you dare to ask for a gluten-free hot dog at the turn we're back here final segment capital golf gang presented by golf dumbs abe with john ronis director of golf at river creek and also head of the john ronis golf academy and john gould the executive director of the middle atlantic pga so Patrick Reed is suing Brandel Chambly and the Golf Channel for a litany of alleged wrongs to the tune of $750 million. His attorney who filed this suit is a notorious, frivolous lawsuit filer. And the language in the suit is absolutely hilarious. That said... Does Patrick Reed have any case, in your opinion? Such a- uh, the, the absolute truth is a defense for libel. <laughs> he, he, one of the things he was complaining about is that they all, everybody's calling him a cheater. Well, did you cheat? Yes. Yeah. Okay. End of suit. Yeah. He's such a loser. It's just it's fascinating to see that he's now see- – I mean, can you drop yourself any lower? You go to the Live Tour. No. You cheat every – and then you're filing literally frivolous lawsuits, $750 million. Where's that coming out of? Chambly's pocket? Or the Golf Channel's pocket? It's the biggest yeah. joke you could ever imagine. And Patrick Reed is a despicable human being going back to college days when he was a complete cheater and disowned his whole family. He's a, just a complete loser. Yeah, back, the cheating goes back to was Augusta State, I think. Well, you know, another interesting thing is they they other dug up, yeah, they dug up the tweets of the the lawyer who did who did this, who was all over the guys go, leaving for the list. Oh floor. yeah, 
he was yeah, yeah he was, he was, was exactly the opposite about six months ago. Right. It's ridiculous. Yep. I was thinking about this that what possible lawsuits would have more actual merit than this? This has no merit. What in golf might you say, well, actually I could see that. I've got a couple. Jean Vandeveld suing his dip wad caddy for not taking <laughs> driver out of his hand on the 72nd hole at Carnoustie. That's a lawsuit that I think might go to jury trial. It's a great one. DiVincenzo suing the guy who kept his scorecard of the Masters and wrote down the wrong number. That's a Bob possible Goldie. lawsuit yeah, right there. That's right. That's Goldie. Uh, the players suing the USGA for how crappy Chambers Bay was, especially the Greens, when they played there. Now, by the way, Chambers Bay just had the women's amateur there. And I look think. green. And they regrassed it, John Gould. They're now yeah, people, people are now saying, hey, now that they fixed the grasses, we should give it another shot. I'm not so sure Shinnecock. about that, but it looks better. Yeah. Shinnecock, Shinnecock <laughs> was way worse. The, agreed. Agreed. Uh, I would say me suing the person who invented the super detailed greens books, that Johnny Weekend player who thinks he's a tour guy, are sitting there reading from 50 yards out in the fairway holding up play. That's a lawsuit that I think would have some legs. Anything else yep. you can think of? How about the anchor putter where you, you dedicate your, your now the end of your career to learning this thing and then it gets outlawed? Oh, so yeah. I wish it never. Yeah, we can sue the USJ for just about anything. You know, any of yeah. those US Opens, not just the ones at Chambers Bay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Rules changes not that we don't like. PGA's oh, run. All right. Tiger Woods showed up to rally support for the PGA Tour and the players who have not yet jumped to the LIV. Players only meeting. There's not a lot of details that came out of it, so they're keeping their operational security pretty good. Any thoughts on the appearance of Tiger Woods? Is that a sign of desperation or strength or something else? Pure strength. Rory said it He said that it's important when he's there. And But he said, this was a great comment, he said, the PGA Tour can't sell Tiger Woods anymore. True. So although it's important for him to be there and to have his voice, what they have to really look at is they have to sell now, he said, our generation and then this generation coming up. And he said, it's a great generation coming up. Tiger's there because he's the alpha and he's lending his support. But PJ Tour can't sell Tiger Woods anymore. John Gould. What did you guys think of the uh, conspiracy theory that Cam Smith took this week off because he didn't want to face Tiger in this players only meeting? Wow. Cam Smith is too dumb to even know the Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> Tiger who? Well, yeah, ask Patrick Reed, Tiger Wood, apostrophe S. Yeah, so. Tiger, yeah, oh, Tiger Wood. Don't That's... give Cam Smith any credit for making a thought. All right. Gentlemen, great run today. I'm sad we've only got one more show. We'll be in person one more time at Golfdom to close out the season. It's been a hell of a lot of fun. Thank you very much for your time, as always. Keep playing golf deep into the fall as long as we can because winter's coming and she will be unforgiving. Thanks for listening to the Capital Golf Gang presented by Golfdom, and we will see you next week. This has been the Capital Golf Gang. If you'd like the gang to visit your home course, send your inquiries to zabe at yahoo.com. That's C-Z-A-B-E at yahoo.com. And for free swag, we're all an extra large. So, yeah. Thanks for the shirts.